This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Today and welcome to the Farms Advice Agribusiness Podcast where we talk about how to grow your agribusiness, become more efficient and to optimise what you're currently doing. I'm your host Jack Creswell and this week is episode 59, nearly in the 60s as we look into Grain Producers Australia with the very first inaugural CEO Colin Beatles. A little late for this episode I must admit but farming does come first and I'm sure you can relate as well. They represent Australia's broadacre, grain, pulse and oilseed producers at the national level, which is a lot of you tuning in I see. Let's dive in and see how they help grain producers right across Australia. Colin, how are you going today? Very good, mate. How are you, Jack? Thanks for having me on. Even better to have you on as one of the leading heads of grain producers across Australia and moving moving the dial for grain producers within Australia. Can you tell us a bit more about what your role is and an introduction of what your connection is to agriculture as well? Yeah, well, I'll probably start with my background. I come from a dairy farming family in Western Australia and um, uh, was born in Kalgoorlie, actually. Dad was working on the mines at the time and uh, he became a policeman and we lived in a wheat belt town called Meriden. Uh, in Western Australia, about halfway between Perth and Kalgoorlie. So um, anyway, we end up living in Perth, where our original family dairy farm was back in 1871. Um, and at that time, we had a block of land that was a um, wedding present. But my mum and dad built a house there, but the farm was still up 
but was torn down by council a couple of years later. But my uncle had a dairy farm in Serpentine. So spent a lot of time on the dairy farm growing up and rural Australia and agriculture has always been in my blood. But uh, being in Perth, got into one thing and another, mainly sport, uh, worked in cricket for a long time uh, and uh, travelled the world like you and uh, spent three years in London, but uh, got back into agriculture in 2006 as uh, when I finished up uh, working with the WA Cricket Association and also uh, was in uh, sports media. I had a national cricket newspaper for a year, which was fantastic, published weekly. So I was a grains writer at the Farm Weekly and um, and that was at the time when the AWB single desk uh, wheat for weapons scandal was going on and essentially the coal Royal Commission that led to the deregulation of the Australian grains industry. So um, my job as a journalist there at the Farm Weekly in West Australia, which was part of the then rural press stable of agricultural publishing, papers like that throughout Australia, such as the land in New South Wales. So my job was to report the news and what what was happening uh, out of Canberra. In fact, it was impacting on farmers. So it was kind of a pretty big introduction to the world of grains um, and being a journalist it was good to be a blank page and not really having too many preconceived ideas but I'll, I'll give you a hint or, or an insight my first job uh, as a journalist for the Farm Weekly was to go to the Save the Single Desk rally it was a big meeting of farmers and industry leaders in um, Cunderdon in the West Australian Wheatbelt not not too far from Meredith it was about 500 farmers and I think 496 of them wanted to uh, save the single desk. There might have been four of them who, who supported deregulation and getting rid of the AWB monopoly. And uh, there was a host of politicians there and my mind was spinning. Um, and my first interview um, and story I wrote was uh, AWB Limited Chairman Ian Donges uh, spoke to the meeting. Uh, WA Farmers spoke. The then Deputy Prime Minister Mark Vale attended the meeting and spoke. Uh, and Wilson Tucky, the WA Liberal, who, who was the member for O'Connor, which covered all of the um, agricultural or, you know, grain-growing region of West Australia. Uh, he didn't attend the meeting, but he had a private member's bill looking to remove AWB's power of veto, which was really a move towards deregulation. Anyway, four and a half years um, as, a, as a grains writer in West Australia, I then um, took a job working out of the Canberra Press Gallery, covering agriculture there for seven and a half years. And that included some of the biggest, uh, you know, um, controversies in Australian political history with sacking of prime ministers, but also agriculture had a lot to do with that hung parliament. Um, In particular, the live cattle ban in 2011 to Indonesia that uh, subsequently led to a $600 million class action payout for a government, uh, you know, um, wrong decision against the industry as we all know about, um, but even carbon taxes, you know, the the um, the way that um, farmers get compensated for land use, for example, has been a key part of the sort of political argy-bargy that's really been the hallmark of Canberra for the last 10 years. So, look, I had a stint working in politics in, as a media advisor, done a few things, but Grain Producers Australia, I've um, been very familiar with where they've come from and, and, um, and the board and others... Uh, and their journey. So uh, about two and a half months ago, I was appointed as their inaugural um, chief executive, which is really about taking a, a step up in terms of where GPA is going and the type of issues we're advocating 
on behalf of Australian grain growers for. So, and happy to talk more about that if you want, Jack. You probably got a question. Diane asked me a question after that big intro. Yeah, absolutely. Do you prefer talking grains or cricket more now? That's a good question. Um, happy to talk both. Um, happy to talk grains over a game of cricket. Cricket's one of those great things, isn't it? You know what, when you're out on the farm, it goes on around you. You know it's summer. It sort of happens in the background. Uh, and, you know, you can listen in while you, you probably do when you're out working on the farm. And uh, the ABC radio, uh, wherever, you know, Channel 9, whatever it is. Um, yeah, we've got some amazing stories. I guess having worked in cricket for a long time, you've got a lot of stories. Some of them are a bit outdated now, a bit like my political yarns. Um, but no, I, I, what I like most is people's passion, for whatever the subject matter is, whether that's agriculture, whether it's grains, um, or whether it's your, you know your favourite sport or your local sporting club or community. The passion that uh, I, I really identify with. Yeah, 100%. And you've moved into a very passionate industry, agriculture, and specifically grains. You've worked in different pivotal moments within agriculture. And also, like yourself as a journalist, probably gave yourself a really good basis to go off and lead you into this inaugural position of CEO. So first of all, congrats on becoming the inaugural CEO of Grains Australia. Thank you. Yep. So Grains Australia, your role... What is it and how does it impact farmers that are a part of your community or outside of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, if we step back to when the industry was deregulated, um, previously um, Australian grain farmers were represented by the Grains Council of Australia and that, uh, that organisation folded around that time through lack of funding. And essentially the state farming organisations like New South Wales Farmers uh, they had representatives who went to um, went on to the Grains Council of Australia. So those farmer members sat around the table and made decisions impacting um, Australian grain farmers. Um, so uh, the the main role of Grain Producers Australia, or two main roles under legislation. The first one is under the Peard Act, which essentially constitutes the levy that you pay that goes towards research and development through the Grains Research and Development Corporation and extension, of course. So, um, you know, we, we represent um, those people who pay the levy that helps fund the GRDC and um, that's matched with government funding. And essentially our accountability there is that uh, we oversee a process whereby um, the, the, we select the board members nominated to the minister's office who makes the appointment. But there's a few other jobs around that which, which provide oversight. Look, we have regular communication with them um, in terms of meeting with our, our chairman, for example, Andrew Wiedemann, is in constant contact with the GRDC chair, John Woods. And, uh, you know, um, we have other meetings um, around that, uh, casting our eye over the strategic plan, making sure the strategic direction of the investments supports our view of the world, as well, we don't always agree, but we agree on most things, and uh, that's part of it. The other thing we do under legislation is around biosecurity, um, emergency plant pest, and um, emergency response deed. Uh, probably didn't say that correct, but uh, it, it's in the ballpark in terms of the talk terminology. Um, but that essentially governs the, the, the industry's response to um, any biosecurity threats that happen locally and determines how to fund the eradication 
um, programs or whatever the particular response is that's needed. But essentially, GPA, we have, uh, you know, board members in each of the main grain growing regions. We have a board, we have a policy council that um, where we have members of each of the state farming organisations as well. So they provide input into our policy that we then advocate on behalf of Australian farmers in, into Canberra. They manage their own state issues. Um, we'll provide support if needed, um, if they need a hand with anything. But we're in constant conversation. We can respond to policy issues as they come up uh, that are priority. And then we've got policies that we've been working on over a longer period of time. And what you'll see from GPA in the future is a lot more advocacy. And one of the things um, about GPA also, we, we can take uh, direct membership. So any grower can become a member of GPA. So Jack, you're more than welcome to uh, fill out a membership form and become a member. Um, but we advocate on behalf of all growers uh, and that's one of the tricks. So for GPA to be strong, um, we'd like to see all um, members or all growers, anyone who pays a levy being a member of GPA. So therefore we can be much stronger in terms of our advocacy, not just on research and development or biosecurity, but on any number of matters, uh, making sure that parliament doesn't make bad decisions um, and, you know, help them make good good decisions that improve the profitability of grain farmers. Uh, you know, bad legislation um, can be warned off pure, sometimes with some pretty simple, uh, you know, responses and engagement on behalf of industry so that people there understand the, the, the danger of what they're proposing. And we know with issues like glyphosate use, for example, in, in Europe, uh, there's a lot more misinformation around that, those types of issues that uh, we need to guard against. Um, so that there isn't that sort of groundswell of um, misunderstanding that leads to a bad decision that would, would hurt farmers pretty badly if it came about. Yeah, exactly. And it is strength in numbers. I'd say around 60% of farms advice listeners are actually grain producers themselves. Um, yep. And they could get a lot of benefit with, with that community that you do have surround and what it can do for them as a farmer within Australia producing grain. But yep. that moves on well into our next question of what's the current challenges as a grain producer currently across Australia? What do you yeah, see well, at the forefront? Well, look, I, you know, the, 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 the weather is always number one. Yep. You talk to any grower and say that, you know, at the moment we're, we're coming out of a period, extended period of drought on the East Coast um, and hoping to get a good season. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a bit too much rain around in some areas. Um, probably the, the main or the one burning platform issue that we've got at the moment is around farm labour. Western Australia in particular is making a fair bit of noise with their concerns about it because the second year of COVID, uh, we rely on backpacker workers, um, for example, um, and a lot of them have gone home now. So then there's not people coming into the country and trying to accommodate returning Australians as a priority rather than, um, you know, people uh, who can work in the grains industry where it might be uh, an economic uh, impact for the nation, um, but we still have to align that with other priorities around who can come in. So um, that's a big one on our radar at the moment that we're working on a, a national plan, something we can take to Canberra. We know the government's announced an agricultural visa recently, but for grain producers, uh, the agricultural visa doesn't provide an immediate solution for this harvest. 
essentially the ag visa we understand will allow skilled workers to come into the country um, because that's essentially what we're talking about for the grains sector people who operate heavy machinery and um, harvesters for example um, so but that's a longer term solution so we, we will um, continue to advocate for that but also we need to look at what we can do in terms of training people uh, locally um, tapping into workforce solutions in our own backyards and each state will have their own plan and their own requests of their state governments but essentially whether you know, council is working on on the plan at the moment of what gpa can advocate into canberra and that would be complemented by other national groups as you know grain growers are also active in this representative space and uh, the national farmers federation and, and our state farming members are also uh, linked into the NFF, of course. So we want to make sure what we're doing is not getting under the feet of any work they're doing there, but value adds and complements what they're doing and sends a coherent message to policymakers and politicians in Canberra that we can give them something that's going to, you know, a solution or a package of solutions that's going to make a real difference, but also shows that industry is helping itself, Jack. You know, government gets a bit sick of people lining up around Parliament House, uh, you know, with their hand out. If you come to government with competent solutions, um, then you, you're going to get a better uh, reception and in, uh, ongoing engagement. So that's what GPA is about. And that's what we're working on at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And that's what the podcast is a bit about, having a bit more, being more prepared for the scenario in front of us. Like with anything, going to the bank for a bank loan or going to the government to see what the options are with different scenarios in hand. What is yep. it? What is the scenario coming up to the harvest time for this year? Do you see for plugging those holes? Well, I, I suppose the quarantine situation, a visa situation. There's not a lot of hope there. Yeah. Um, but you know, last year, for example, GPA engaged Qantas in getting pilots who are out of work onto farms um, because we felt they had skills um, that would be transferable at that time. Um, so to assist with the surge capacity that's required at harvest, given the border closures because of COVID. So look, and, you know, um, we, you know anyone really, if, if they hear the message, just raising the issue as a national conversation, uh, people, people might be out there and think, well, you know, I might be able to do some training. I might be a re recently retired. Maybe I could go and work for three months. Um, you know what the conditions are like. It's, 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 um, it's testing work, um, but they'll get paid well and remunerated well um, for their input. And uh, that could help um, income for, for any number of people. Uh, people have reached out with different ideas. We're just going through a number of those options at the moment to see which ones will work best. But essentially, you know, Western Australia is calling for um, access in particular for um, seasonal workers and harvest workers from the Northern Hemisphere, from countries like the USA, Canada and UK that are experienced at operating heavy machinery that's required at that time. So it's our main, our main conversation is about the type of workers we want, Jack, skilled workers who can operate um, heavy machinery and um, that uh, once they get going, they understand how to use that equipment and they can be efficient and, um, and get the job done. Yeah, great. So that's one of the challenges and moving into like research and development coming out of the long drought on the East Coast, how, yeah. how is GPA 
assisting in that R&D for grain producers? Well, essentially, the, the GRDC puts about $200 million a year into research, development, extension. So uh, I don't have a shopping list in front of me yep. in terms of what sort of work they're doing. But as you know, they're, they're working um, virtually uh, paddock by paddock, you know, local regions. They've got strong engagement across the country into grain growing areas and uh, a long history of working with growers to identify their uh, priorities. So national variety trials, for example, uh, you know, demonstrate how the farmers work with different inputs and different varieties to get the best results in their back paddock. And uh, that might be around drought, um, uh, you know, crops that can grow better in drier conditions um, or be frost resistant, et cetera. So, uh, you know, you know, handle water logging better. Um, high yielding, of course. Um, so, and baking qualities, all those things come into the equation. So that's, that's an ongoing process. Um, and our role, you know, is to um, contribute to that conversation yep. uh, on top of what they're doing with their local engagement as well. Yeah, excellent. And for grain producers, what about bringing products to market? Is there assistance around that if a farmer wants to start creating his own vertical integrated products? and taking them direct to consumers. Is that something that GPA helps with? Or is there like a knowledge base there for farmers to access? Because I see researching yep. for the podcast, I see a lot of farmers are wanting to take a product straight to consumers, whether it be rolled oats, their own flour, branded like yeah. that. Yeah. So Ashley Wees in Western Australia um, got together with a, a couple of farmers there and they've got their own, uh, I think it's quinoa product yeah i'd have to double check that mate but i couldn't tell you what funding support they've got but i think there's any number of organizations that you can collaborate with um and again you know i want to see an improvement in or a lifting conversation because those sorts of things are great opportunities for farmers uh they're very commercially savvy and connecting what you grow in your backyard to um, an end user uh, is an important element of hopefully improving your profitability and that could also be linked to some local manufacturing so all those are strengths and yeah i think grdc is open to those ideas yeah. you know again they would plant the seed with their investment of something that can provide an exponential return across industry um as you know there's a lot of moving parts to a program like that um and then you've got to um, set up a supply chain you've got to guarantee supply and, uh, you know, you've got to diversify that risk as well against seasonal conditions. So there's a lot of things to consider. So in, but there's a number of groups out there that would contribute funding, I think, for people to explore the potentiality. Yeah, definitely. And I think farmers are the most innovative bunch out there and they're prone to taking a few risks when the reward does weigh in, whether that's with the environment impeding on how much we're going to get off the yield or whatnot for the year and moving into like using different technologies throughout the grain supply chain as such, but as the start of the supply chain, farmers introducing new technology is getting a fair bit of money and investment behind it. Where do you see this going and like what sort of trends have you seen for grain producers utilizing technology in 2021 onwards? Well, I think grain farmers in particular have always had a strong reputation for taking up technological advances in the industry. 
yeah. and being early adopters. So, you know, those that get out there early and take the lead and farmers, the word of mouth's pretty rapid in, in the industry. If someone's doing something that's working, people will want to look at it. You know, Twitter's a great place these days where farmers are sharing technology and ideas on how to solve problems in their paddock. So, you know, if they're able to adapt that technology to their own farming operation, they'll take it up. But obviously the main ones that we all know about um, in terms of uh, innovation, digital innovation, we're hearing more and more about that, the type of machinery uh, that's being used on farm and how that links to the overall farming systems with precision agriculture, you know, um, lowering inputs, for example, um, and maximising yields, all of that stuff's feeding into a better outcome. Um, and we know there is more and more uh, environmental demands coming down on farmers. So it also uh, supports them in getting better outcomes uh, for um, in, in those areas, um, improved quality of soils. Uh, GPA has been working on a code of practice for autonomous farm machinery as well, which we've recently finalised and we've been starting to talk to the WA government about adopting that as well. So there's a huge opportunity uh, to um, bring forward the commercialisation of that sort of technology in Australia, yep. and that'll bring efficiencies and benefits on the farm, you know, re reduced labour, for example, reduced labour costs, but again, better targeted application of inputs, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. And that does work back into our labour shortage. Do you think, how far off is this autonomous working for grain producers out in the paddock? Um, that, that's a good question. I think the code of practice will help bring that forward. Yeah. Um, it's a good question for the, the machinery dealers. Um, GPA isn't doing this um, project on our own. Uh, Society of Pre Precision Agriculture Australia involved yep. and the Tractor and Machinery Association of Australia. But when it happens is really the million-dollar question. But by being proactive in developing a code, um, we're showing, we're demonstrating to government that we're thinking about some of the local impacts. And I think that means that manufacturers and others in this space, people who are prepared to invest in the development of this technology, are looking at Australia and saying, well, look, there's an industry where grain growers are leading the charge or grain producers are leading the charge in terms of um, creating a pathway to commercialise uh, to see those benefits come forward a little bit sooner than they may otherwise in other parts of the world. Yeah, well, I think that would be a huge benefit and we're all sort of tending that way, aren't we? Newer technologies. Yep. But I think we are a fair way off of it becoming commercial on all farms. The adoption process I see running this podcast and doing a bit of marketing, um, it's not as quick as we'd like it, but we do need to be hesitant of how we can implement it into our own enterprises, I see. What would be your advice for a grain producer out there looking for new technology and how well, to move first, along with it? Yeah, look, the, the first question is, what do you need on your farm? You know, everyone's running their own business. What can you do? What technology can you introduce to make life easier on your farm and improve profitability, improve soil health? and tick all those important boxes. What, you know, what are the problems? Do an audit of what the problems are that need to be solved and whether they're short or long-term problems and, and then come up with a plan and, and bring the tools onto your farm that you need. I mean, essentially that's what we use that word a lot in GPA, these are tools that can help farmers 
improve, uh, make life easier um, and improve profitability and sustainability. So, and that's essentially what your levy is going towards that GRDC and others are researching, um, you know, um, better ways of killing weeds and more, you know, use of um, herbicides on farm. It, it all goes into the mix, but there's a lot of resources out there and it can be quite overwhelming. Um, but I think if you're clear with what the problem is that you're solving um, and, and then think about how you want to get there, then the types of tools you bring onto the farm basically take care of themselves. Yeah, exactly. All farms are a bit different. So not all, it's not a blanket approach where throw the blanket over and it will fit all farms precisely. Yeah. Yeah. For for farmers like coming together, how can farmers like start to improve the industry as individuals, as a community on GPA as such, but how can I as a farmer just get a start? Work. How can you start working with GPA? Yeah, how can we start working together to be able to improve my individual enterprise itself, but also for the benefit of the industry? Well, that's a great question. And that's exactly what GPA is here for. And that's what we were, we've been set up to do. If you think about it, I've played a lot of team sport in my life. You know, played um, football locally in Scarborough, AFL, that is. Yeah. And, uh, and cricket, and I always think it's a bit like, you know, um, you don't complain that you've got old footballs or, um, you know, that the change rooms are run down. You've got to ask what you can do for your club and what you can give back to it rather than what you can get out of it. And for me, GPA is a great starting point for all growers to uh, get in behind um, and pay their subs and uh, make the industry stronger. Um, the thing about GPA that I love, that our chairman, for example, Andrew Wiedemann, who, who farms in, um, in Victoria, and Barry Large is the vice chairman, um, and he, he manages the biosecurity issues for GPA. He's, he's a farmer in Western Australia. They've been involved um, since day one. Um, when the Grains Council Australia fell over, there was a, a, a meeting of farm leaders or grains farm leaders from around Australia that basically come up with the concept of GPA and uh, those two guys and others on the board, for example, have invested a lot of their own time and energy um, and money being away from their own farms in um, representing Australian grain farmers on these sorts of issues, you know, in oversight of the GRDC, biosecurity um, and, you know, international trade, farm labour shortages, mouse plagues. Um, and they do it um, with a lot of integrity um, and they don't get any financial reward. Uh, and so I just think um, if all growers contributed to the strength of GPA and became a member, then we would be able to go forward and tackle those issues that improve uh, the profitability and sustainability of Australian grain farmers. Um, so that's a starting point. Um, working together, yep, that all sounds nice. People are going to disagree. Um, but when you set up that, um, system like we do, where people can get elected to go on the board. Um, you know, you can go to committee meetings where you make real decisions and then you can take forward those decisions to Canberra. So with our work, um, you know, work shortages issue at the moment, uh, our National Policy Council is going to make a plan and then I'll be advocating that in terms of taking uh, that conversation to Canberra and asking people to make real changes. 
and that could have a big impact on how uh, quickly the harvest is taken off this year and how much profit the, the industry gets. But at the end of all that, people won't be writing a letter to GPA saying, thanks a lot. We'll be getting straight on to the next issue. Yeah. The more resources we've got available to do that, then the better outcomes, uh, you know, that we'll be able to create. There's about 28,000 growers that pay the, um, the GRDC levy, uh, but there's not anywhere near that many who are, who are paying a, a membership. So, but uh, like I said, the state farming organisations, their uh, grains policy councils are members of ours or, or grains committees are also part of our policy setting process. So their members have a direct um, voice into what we're doing as well. But the strength in numbers, I say, the stronger you make your local community, the stronger you make your club, um, the better outcomes that they'll be able to generate for you as well. And But you can also take up the opportunity to participate. You know, I'd like to get um, a, uh, you know, a, a young farmers advocacy group going through GPA as well and give younger farmers like yourself and others that want to an opportunity to be able to come down to Canberra and get involved in some of that advocacy and and speak uh, about how things are impacting um, your business and your community as well. Yeah, great stuff. I think, like, as a young farmer, would love to take that by the horns and come down and just see what it's all about. And then that would spur us on to nurturing along within the industry, um, but also just to see what the what others, what other problems, like around Australia, we're having within grain producers. It'd be really good. And you could learn a lot, I suppose, as a young bloke or an older bloke, woman in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, a, a former independent member for New England, Tony Windsor, and he'd been in federal parliament for 11 years. And I think he'd been in the New South Wales parliament before that for about 10. But his retirement press conference, and he is a grain farmer as well in in um, around Tamworth. And he's, you know, the world's, the world's run by those who turn up. And people criticise our, um, you know, our parliament and our leaders, et cetera. But we've got a system um, where if people turn up, they can participate and get the results. If, you, if you're going to um, complain about your committee at your local footy club, well, be prepared to get on there and help out and make a difference. If you really feel strongly about something you don't like, then get on there and, and get involved in that democratic discussion um, or do a job. I'm a big fan of people who get on committees Jack, you know, who yep. see a challenge um, and say, you know what, I really believe in this. I'm going to get on board GPA so that I can get in front of the Prime Minister or the Agriculture Minister or whoever it is and say, you know what, we need this problem fixed. And that's what uh, GPA provides to a lot of, um, to, to all grain farmers. And I'd like to see more people become members so they can participate in that um, democratic process, have their views heard. Uh, I know it takes time and energy, but, you know, over the long haul, um, you, you get the job done. Our chairman um, or our board, you know, people like Andrew Earl, who's on our board as well uh, in New South Wales and Queensland, um, and Steve Ball in South Australia, these people, Luke Arbuckle, um, they, you know, they put in their own time and energy, but it's not all consuming, but you get some good results um, by participating in that process um, but if you, you know, you're motivated to get on there, do a job and then, you know, be part of a succession plan to bring, bring on some fresh energy to keep the organisation moving. 
Absolutely. What you put in is what you get out, like the Nutrigrain box says on the outside of the cereal. Exactly. <laughs> Good plug for Nutrigrain. What are you thinking of getting a, a deal there, Jack, with Nutrigrain as a sponsor? If they want to come on, I won't say no. Well, you know, grains, there's a synergy there. Work Absolutely. That's why I thought I'd put it in there. But as a theme for the podcast, transparency is a big thing that I'm trying to advocate for, for grain producers just to learn from others within the industry and learning from yourself now as the head of GPA currently. How do you see yeah. being a bit transparent with grain producers, with the policy that's going on at the moment, tackling what we just went through, the mice plague on the eastern seaboard, drought, those type of policies? How do you see transparency being a key to unlocking what can be done through GPA? Well, again, you need to be, you know, um, aware of how the process works. Yep. Um, transparency, I don't think anyone's deliberately keeping any secrets, um, but it's where you go to get the information. Um, so if you want to find out what's happening and what people are doing on things like the mouse plague, the information's all there. It's a matter of going to the, to the source. But if you feel you're being denied any information, that, that's, a, that's a different conversation. Um, but I, I think, you know, again, it's New South Wales farmers who led the charge there um, with their members raising an issue with the, with the state minister and the state parliament and um, putting in a request for um, funding support and particular elements of that. Um, GPA was lucky at the time we had an emergency use permit with a double dose zinc phosphide um, mouse bait option that uh, was, a, again, it was a the result of a long-running involvement uh, setting up the National um, work, Mouse Plague Working Group about 10 years ago and working with CSIRO and GRDC um, to identify those problems and, and um, that they needed a, a stronger dose to get an impact in terms of con containing the mice. So we, we were able to add that to the conversation, but people at New South Wales, farmers took a leadership position, you know, and uh, transparent around that. But there's a process that's recognised between government and advocacy groups like ours, um, where they'll come to us to find out how to solve a problem or we will raise issues with them where we want them to solve a particular issue. And then the thing about that though, Jack, is that all the farmers get the benefits. So it's not just New South Wales farmers, members who get the uh, government assistance, all farmers get it. So, and that's where I get back to the basic things like the local footy club, you know, everyone gets the new footies at training, um, even if only half the guys have paid their fees. If everyone pays their fees on day one, um, then the club's stronger and you get better results. So, you know, and my, you know, long involvement, I know it's just I'm using sporting analogies, but again, that's how communities work as well. What can I put in to make the club stronger? And if you're getting the benefit, you might want to say, uh, well, you know, um, I, I want to be selfless in terms of how I go about this and um, and get just get it out of the way. Find out what you can do to help out rather than just saying, oh, well, I didn't get what I wanted out of it. Yeah, definitely, mate. I agree with you there. Um, if you can get that backing initially, that would put you in a much better spot to support those farmers um, as you are doing so now, but to have the extra support from those that are benefiting from your advocacy or the policy making and going down to Canberra to see how we can improve the outlook for grain producers throughout Australia. 
Yeah. No, I think that's what we need. The message we need to get out is that, you know, uh, it's not a matter of um, uh, transparency. It's a, the fact is everyone has the opportunity to get involved. Um, whether we like it or not, we're advocating on behalf of grain growers. So when we talk to government, they assume that, uh, you know, well, we are representing 28,000 um, grain farmers who pay a levy to GRDC. Um, in that regard, and everyone who contributes to, to harvesting the national crop every year. So the more people that are involved in making us stronger, the better results we can deliver on their behalf. And they can also participate in that, in that process. Definitely. So how, as a grain producer, a farmer across Australia, how can we actually join? Do we head to Grain Producers Australia website? Yep. Well, probably the easiest one at the moment. There's an email on my Twitter account. So people can click that so um, and send a request. Uh, and there's a contact uh, GPA on the GPA website. There's a contact form there that they can yep. fill it out, send it in and say, I heard you rambling on the uh, Farms, pod, uh, Farms Advice podcast. So, and I'd like to become a member um, or whatever information they want to follow up on. So, you, you know, it's a two-way process and more than happy to speak to more people and get more people involved. Beautiful. Well, hopefully we can swing a few your way and get the ball rolling for yourself, but also for them as a grain producer. Before, yeah, before you leave us, how yeah. who would you like to hear on the farms vice podcast and why <laughs> that's a good question uh, is it just grain farmers or we'll keep it to grain producers for your niche oh well look um anyone who's a member of gpa um so uh andrew earl's one of our board members yep. you can get hold of andrew would would be good yeah are you limited just to a particular state or anyone across Australia? No, anyone across Australia. That'd be great. All right. Well, I'm going to put someone in the... Uh, Mick Fells, the WA Farmers, our Grains Council president over there. Yep. Would be a good man to speak to and um, he'd probably be able to speak more to you about farm technology than I can. I, I interviewed him many years ago on his farm. Uh, and, um, yeah, we'll keep it there for now. There's a couple. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. I'll be sure to get in touch with them if they're listening they can get in touch with me as well that'd be great well right. colin thanks for coming on yeah. the farms of us podcast where's yep. the best place for someone to reach out to yourself individually on twitter or do you have an email that's best yep uh the gpa account on twitter has the email address as well and there's a contact does uh or the contact uh, form on the website too easy. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and we'll have everything down in the show notes anyway. Thank you very much for listening to episode 59 with myself and Colin from GPA, Grain Producers Australia. If you like this episode, please share it on your socials or let us know in an Apple podcast review what you thought of the episode. That would be bloody unreal. So that we can continue to find more farmers right across Australia to start improving the industry as a whole. Until next Tuesday, keep on farming. Thanks for sticking around right to the end of the episode. If you'd like to join a proactive community of farmers on Facebook, make sure you join the Farms Advice Australia Facebook group. 
looking for innovative farmers or just to raise some discussion points, let us know and request access into that. A great community looking to build their farm as well. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.